All right. So we got a two-week series this week and next week. Uh, turn to your neighbor and say, who's my neighbor? You're about to find out. Some of you are thinking, you might be my neighbor. Some of you are thinking, please don't be my neighbor. Um, but we're going to find out who our neighbor is. Because I love what, what Jesus says. Uh, it, it, I think a lot of times we think of Jesus and we think that he says all these nice things, and he does. But there's a lot of things that he says that is just straight up like slap you in the face challenging. Right. And so like one of the things that that Jesus would tell his disciples and, and people is he said, you know, it's easy to love those who love you. It's, it's really hard to love those who hate you. I mean, and these were things like we think of Jesus like he got a group of people and he walked with them for like three years. And he was like, OK, now I'm going to challenge you with things. This, listen, some of Jesus's opening statements would absolutely floor you when you actually start to look at it. Because Jesus would come in and he would like meet a group of people and he'd be like, look, if, it don't, if, if, if your love for me doesn't look like hate for everybody else, then you don't, you're not loving me. Like, I don't even know you. What you talking? Who are you? I, I'm the son of God. What you mean, who am I? Like he would, he would say, just, he, would, he, told his, he told his mother and his brothers like, look, <laughs> I ain't got time for you right now. I'm doing my father's business. Okay, these are the things that Jesus would say. And, and so I think that they, we, we, I love when people say, well, you know, pastor, I'm just so glad that you're, you're passionate about it. I just, that's not, you know, I just, I'm, I'm a chill Christian. There's no such thing as a radical Christian. There's like Christian and there's not. And so like, we, we've got to figure out like, you know, and I'm not saying everybody has to be big and bolsterous like me. I think that we, we think that extrovert means like discipled Christian that knows how to like, t- no, no, no. You could be meek and quiet and lead more people to Jesus than a loudmouth can. Because, of what, listen, people are watching your life. And that's why it's so important to know who your neighbor is and know what you're, how you're living. So um, how many of how many you, you know, like to fly or have flown in their life? You know, you, know, you, you fly and you do the thing. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I've told you all before, I don't like flying. It's not my jam. Matter of fact, on the flight home, I, I actually was, because uh, I have a routine and if my wife knows, like I sit down in that seat, I put my headphones in, I put worship music on and we got the exit seat all three times. And so, you know, the exit seat lady, she's like, yeah, I know us short people needed that extra leg room. And listen, I wish I could have taken a picture, but I was so focused on my routine. I didn't. My wife, all three flights got the exit seat that had the no seat in front of her. She's five foot four, five foot two or whatever she is. Like she can't reach the seat in front of her with her legs extended. She's got a whole rotor herself. So, um, but but I'm sitting there, and I go through my routine. I put my headphones in. I listen to worship. I pray, Jesus, make the plane go up and not come down unless it's ready to come down. Um, and, you know, Jesus, take the wheel. It's like, Jesus, take the wings. Um, and that's me, right? Like that's, I'm like, listen, for me, physics doesn't make sense when, you know, this massively thing that should stay on the ground goes up in the air and flies at 41,000 feet, 600 miles an hour. Like that is just a recipe for disaster, so I text my wife, uh, I text my wife because I'm, you know, listening to worship music. I said, I think I'm done flying. <laughs> I'm just, I'm done. I think, I, you know, jump out, let's go. I, just, I, I think I'm done. Now, I, I can't, my wife's going to make me fly for the rest of my life. I like driving. I like being in control. Amen? I mean, and, maybe, and, and listen, I'm just saying, like, I like, she's all, you know, it's, it's statistically, and then she busts out, you know, she does, she tries to pull a me. You know, it's statistically more uh, safer up in the air. I'm like, I don't care. If I'm in control of the wheel, it's always safer. I can't, I can't go up to the pilot and be like, hand me the wheel, buddy. 
Because the pilot's probably not even touching the, 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 the wheel, okay? At that point, it's autopilot, and I robots flying the plane, okay? That's how it's made it nowadays. That scares me. So while I say all of that to say, while I was on the plane, headed to California, um, to, to kind of get my mind off of where I'm at, once I get up in the air, I get on the apps, and I, you know, now they get to let us watch free movies. I'm like, wee-hee. So I, I put on a movie that I've been wanting to watch. Um, anybody ever seen the movie Just Mercy? Okay, you all have an assignment today <laughs> to go home and, and find Just Mercy, okay? It is a phenomenal movie. Uh, it's based off of a true story of a lawyer in Alabama back in the 60s. And he was a Harvard graduate. He was a black guy. And he lived up, he, he grew up in the North. Like he was, you know, he was not a Southerner by any stretch of the imagination. But he found a passion in, in wanting to help people on death row. And, and now, so before I go any further, I want y'all to hear this so that y'all don't think, oh, Lord, here comes that liberal Californian. He had one week there. He's ready to change the whole justice system. No, I believe that when you do something wrong, there's a consequence. Amen? Like, that's what the Bible says. But when you start to look at man's version of justice and God's version of justice and how wrong some of it can be. So there's a statistic at the end of the movie that just absolutely floored me. Now, this does not mean that I'm anti-death penalty, but I am anti a system that fails people. Hear me? When one in nine people that have been executed have been falsely killed. One in nine. That is over a 10% failure rate in America that we are taking somebody's life when they did not deserve it. Like literally found, you know, wiped off. So this movie, Just Mercy, uh, he gets a whole lot of heck because he's, you know, this is the early 60s. He's a black educated lawyer who comes and literally like gets government funding to help people on death row, to help people that, that everybody else has said, for the heck with you, you did bad things. And he finds out that the guy that one of the guys that he is representing was falsely accused of this crime because the sheriff didn't have anybody else dependent on, and it was easy dependent on him. Made up, made up witnesses, false uh, reports, all these things. This is based on a true story, y'all. He spent, I think it was like twelve years on death row. His 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 cellmate next to him, thirty years on death row before he was found that he was also not guilty. His partner to the uh, left of him, uh, who should have been uh, medically insane because he fought in Vietnam and he ended up killing somebody because he was having a PTSD attack. And instead of getting the medical help that he was supposed to have, they threw him on death row and they killed him. Those are just the three guys next to him. This lawyer has successfully defended 140 people and got them all off death row, not because he was a good lawyer, but because they were falsely accused. Now you may be thinking, well, is this whole message about like the death sentence? No, but it's setting up my point. Is that when we look at justice and we look at people, it's really easy to write them off because of their story. And it's really easy to write people off because of what somebody else has said about them. But what if we get to know our neighbor and not just the ones that are easy to get along with, the one that bakes cookies or for us, um, uh, when we first moved in, I mean, literally day one, we walked into our house here in Camden, our neighbors brought us over pizza. Amen. 
won't you be my neighbor? Now they're moving, and I'm like, hmm, I guess I'll be that neighbor that brings whoever buys their house pizza. I don't know. I like you guys, so, so really sad that they're moving. But it wrecked me. This movie wrecked me because it really made me think, have, have we gotten so much to a point to where we compartmentalize people based off of who we think they are or what the world says they are? So follow with me to the book of Luke as we look at this beautiful story that represents and encourages us to figure out who our neighbor is. So uh, this is the religious people. They're talking to Jesus, and Jesus is teaching them. And I love how Jesus teaches. So, uh, so to kind of set you up, Jesus asked him, uh, well, the guy asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus kind of flips it and says, well, what would your answer be? <laughs> I kind of asked you, God. You tell me. And he said, so that in verse 27, the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. Now, here's the interesting part. Catch the next line because the next line is super important. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? The man wanted to justify not treating somebody right. He said, so who's my neighbor? So who, who can I act bigoted towards? Who can I act hateful towards? Who can I have an issue with? And I love Jesus because he goes, hmm, let's explore that. Who is my neighbor? And so he tells the story, and if you've been in church for any amount of time, you probably heard of this story. If you have it, it's a beautiful story. And I'll explain why it's so intricate in just a minute. But it says this, Jesus replied with a story. Jesus was a great storyteller. He said, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. So they rob him, they strip him naked, and they beat him half to death. By chance, a priest, a pastor, came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road, and he passed him by. A temple assistant, a dream team member, the greeter, the children's worker, the worship singer walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed him on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan, you may be going, dang, what did the Samaritan do to Jesus to tell him, say, call him despised? Just the fact that he was a Samaritan made him despised. They were known as half-breeds. Okay, so, so the Jewish people felt that they had the lineage, the pure lineage to, to, to Jesus through uh, the Davidic line. And the Samaritans were an offshoot from David's uh, seed through his genealogy. And so they, they were half Jewish, but they weren't full Jewish. So they were half breeds. They weren't good enough to worship with them. They weren't good enough to, uh, to sit at the well. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well? She wasn't even supposed to be there when Jesus met her. This, this despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If, he, if his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. 
Now, which, and Jesus has this beautiful question. He tells that story, and he says, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. This beautiful story of who our neighbor is. Now, do you see how I made it a little bit more relevant so that it didn't seem so outdated? Well, the priest, you know, it sounds like a bar. The priest, the temple worker, and a Samaritan walk into a bar. (laughs) Right? Like, it sounds like a really bad joke. But when you look at it, this is what the story is saying. A pastor saw this hurting man and said, oh, you know what? I'm going to be late to church. I don't have time for them. And he walked on the other side of the road. Then it says that the dream team member, the greeter, the worship leader, the kids' church worker. Now, this one's even more uh, devious than the pastor. Because it says that they walked up to him, saw how badly they were, and said, nope. (laughs) Walked on the other side of the road and passed them by. So it's interesting that the people that we say should take care of people, should have a heart and a compassion for people, they were the two that didn't even want to have anything to do with them. It was the good Samaritan, the despised Samaritan, the half-breed that shouldn't even touch him because he's a Jewish man that stopped and had compassion for him. I want you to catch what the Samaritan did. I want you to catch this. You ready? Matter of fact, I think I have it up here. The Samaritan did three things that is very important that we understand. The first one is this, is that he... um, in order to bandage the broken, he had to get bloody. I don't know about you, but if you've ever like experienced a tragic wreck or you see, like you don't bandage somebody up who's bleeding profusely without getting it on you. So he wasn't like throwing bandages and, 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 all, and oil on him and just saying, hey, here you go. No, in order to bandage him, he had to, he had to get in the mix. He had to get his blood on him. He had, to, he had to see him in all of his shame because it says that he was beaten naked. So the Samaritan stops and he heals him by wrapping his wounds and getting his blood and, and, and getting his hurt on him. The second thing that he did was that he put the comfort and the care of others over himself. That's what we're called to do. But talking with them may take forever that day. But getting to, like, have you ever noticed you won't gossip about somebody you care about? It's real easy to gossip about the people that you only keep at arm's length. Ooh, did you hear what so-and-so? Girl, we need to pray for him. Because guys don't talk like that. We're more like, I can't believe that dude. We'll sock him in his face. Okay, maybe just me. I said that this week. (laughs) Y'all think I'm playing. Y'all think I'm, listen, listen, and, and this is how you know that it's Jesus and not me, like, okay, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the story without telling you the story because it's, you know, I want to keep it, it's a small town, let's just put it that way. Um, somebody had, had done me wrong this week, and I'll say really wrong, like lied to me about something that's really important, and it was real easy for me to get all up in my feels and be like, you know what, screw you. I'm sorry, probably not supposed to stay on stage, I'm a bad pastor. Jesus, forgive me. But that's how I was feeling. I called my wife. I'm like, that's it. I'm done. And so I let the day go by. Next day, I was still hot. I was like, Jesus, 
you know, I'm just praying. And, and I remember I was driving, I had, I, was, I had to drive somewhere, and I was driving there, and when I got there, that somebody's car was there too. Ding, 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 ding. Let's get ready to rumble. Right? Like, yo, come on. And then the Holy Spirit spoke. And I just thank God that I'm able to listen to my Jiminy Cricket because, man, everything was like, let's go. Because I, I don't have a confrontation issue. That's a bad thing, especially when you're supposed to be Jesus-loving. But I heard the Holy Spirit say, just keep going. And I was like, you know what? I got to go to Ken's anyways. I think I'm going to just keep on keeping on. And it may seem like so silly, but how many times do we instead, we, we stop. And instead of treating them like our neighbor by just keeping my mouth shut and not saying to him something, because listen, I wouldn't have fought him. I'm, 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 I'm above that in my life. I just, that's not who I am. I, you know, you would have to hit me first for me to even think about hitting you. Uh, but it doesn't mean that I'm not going to beat you down with my words because that's something I'm really good with. I know that. I know my pride gets in my way. I know what sins are easy for me to just jump into and be like, okay, not only am I going to beat you down, but I'm going to make you look foolish with my words. So it was really easy for me to stop and just, just let him have it. But instead, the Holy Spirit said, nope, because in order for maybe one day for him to know me, you can't be stupid. Okay, God, I'll keep on moving. I could have easily treated him like the pastor that saw the broken person and said, uh-uh, I'm not dealing with you today. I'm just going to handle my business. But the good Samaritan, see, he put the comfort and the care of others over himself. And the last thing that happened was this. It's going to cost you something. Oh, to be a good Samaritan, to love Jesus and to, and, and to deal with people. I, I heard a pastor once say, and it's funny, but it's wrong. It's very funny, but it's very wrong to say. Uh, and I think sometimes as pastors, this is how we feel. Man, church would be amazing if it wasn't for people. I heard the pastor say that. I was like, that's when you need a Snickers bar or a Southwest flight or something because those commercials, that pastor was having a bad day. Those are things you think and don't say out loud as a pastor. Like you want to lose a church, say, church would be great if it wasn't for the people. <laughs> what? I'm thinking, well, <laughs> okay. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you time and talent, energy. It's going to cost you your priorities. It's going to cost you uh, maybe that afternoon where you just thought you were just going to sit around and do nothing, and then you get that phone call, and you've been there. Don't lie to me. Don't act like you're holier than me. You get that phone call. You see that name, and you go, caller ID, greatest invention ever created, but I think also the thing that can harm us the most, because what if that thought that goes, hmm, is the very moment that Jesus wants to use you to speak life into somebody. I ain't got the time. What do you mean? I mean, unless you're a doctor going into heart surgery, what do you mean you don't have the time? What, what if it's life-changing? What if it's eternity-changing? Is that 15, 20, 30 minutes worth it? I've, I've had people like, you know, they, they'll just catch me and they'll be like, oh, can, can we talk? Man, unless I've literally got pressing, you know, like I've got to be somewhere, and it's very rare that we, you know, we'll say we have to be somewhere a lot of times when really we can, we can maneuver our schedule around a little bit. But like if you're in class, obviously you can, or if you, you know, you've got to be at work in five minutes, like unless your boss is totally cool or you are the boss, then, you know, yeah, you got to be somewhere. But a lot of times when we say, oh, I don't have the time, we're really saying, I don't want to make time for you. I want to be the pastor that sees you hurting and walk on the other side of the road. 
I want to be the, the, the volunteer that can greet you at the door with a smile, but I won't spend the time to actually get to know your hurt. Not our greeters. Our greeters are amazing. Our people that meet you at the door, they really smile. They really love you. They'll high five you. Maybe make fun of you. It's a great time when you walk through our doors. Oh, maybe that's just me. I don't know. You have to bandage the broken. You have to put their comfort and care in front of you. And you, it will cost you something. But I can tell you the reward is so much better than what it will cost you. I love what Jesus said at the end. He asked the guy, which one was his neighbor? He said, the one that showed him mercy. And then Jesus says, yes. Now, what was his, I love Jesus because he, he kind of makes you give the answer and then he tells you what to do. Now go and do the same. See, every, every person that came to Jesus with sin, what did he say? He said, your faith has healed you. Now go and do the same sins. No. He would say, your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has done this. Now go and sin no more. So Jesus would bring you to the table of grace and mercy, and he would encourage you, and then he would challenge you. You can't get my grace and mercy. You can't have my love and the fulfillment of my purpose if you're just going to go do the same thing. So if you want this, go and do the opposite and go and sin no more. And this is what Jesus was telling this man. If you want to know who your neighbor is, then you have to be gracious and merciful to them and go and do the same. We are not supposed to react to the world the same way they would interact with us. And that's hard, right? I mean, like, let's not, let's not lie. That's hard. That's hard not to interact the way that they interact or say what they, how they would or, you know, oh, you're going to get mad at me. I'm going to puff up and get mad with you. Let me ask a simple question that seems a little, maybe a little overwhelming with the thought. What if every time you interact with somebody, you thought eternity is on the line? I mean, isn't that what Jesus teaches us? That how we interact with people will show him to the world? He didn't say, hey, they'll know you by the fantastic buildings that you go to and call it church. They'll know you by the big old bank account that you have or don't have and how you spend your money. They'll know you by how great you can show off your spiritual side. I pray for five people a week. I've seen healings and miracles. So did the, so have the demons. I mean, if we just want to be real of what the Bible says, right? You know, and I'm not, this isn't a beat you up. I'm going to, I promise you it's going to turn the corner at some point. But I want you to just, I want you to feel the weight of what I was feeling this week when I was preparing for this message that, man, if we could just get one thing right. I believe that it would turn the tide of, A, what Camden thinks of Christianity. How many know we live in an, a spiritually apathetic uh, community? We live in a spiritually apathetic world. Our community is even more so. If you don't believe me, just go and ask somebody if they're a Christian. They all love God, but they don't go to church. When you look at the numbers statistically, over half of Camden, well over half of Camden, does not go to church. Oh, they'll say they go to a church. Ask anybody, where's your home church? They'll list you off five, five churches. Ask them when's the last time they went. They're like, uh, who's the pastor now? They have to count back how many pastors there were. Y'all are easy. We just got one. <laughs> we live in an apathetic community. And the Bible says this, is that they will know us by our love. But not treating just those who we love with love, but treating those that we can't stand with love. 
We should also never be above being in people's life like the religious guy in the story. So where does this all come from? Probably one of my favorite, I think Jesus' teachings comes from a lot of uh, Old Testament that's because he constantly goes back to the scriptures. One of my favorite sets of scriptures is found in Micah in the Old Testament. Micah 6, 6 through 8. And it's, uh, this is where we are going to turn the corner, and I'm going to talk about what it looks like if we just shifted our thought process and shifted our mindset, and we just looked at people a little different. And listen, people can rub you the wrong way. It's okay. Can I give you a little okay tonight, today? You don't have to be perfect. Everybody say amen. amen. <laughs> right? You, you don't have to have it all together. Matter of fact, Jesus didn't call the equipped. He equips the call. So, so you may not even know that it's in you to be able to respond a certain way until you allow it. Like, listen, it would have been real easy to stop and have that conversation. And, 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 and part of me would be like, well, it's my right. They lied to me. They did me wrong. And I could emotionally make myself respond to a place where I would have went there. But the Jesus in me said, hey, idiot, me and Jesus, we have a real blunt conversation a lot of times. And it's okay, I've given him permission. Maybe, some, maybe sometimes you need to give permission for Jesus to call you names. Maybe that's just my head, okay? But I do, I give, I give him permission to like call me on the carpet and say, hey, this isn't right. This isn't how I want you to respond. And then I have the option to either walk in pride or to walk in godliness. So Micah 6, 6 through 8. Normally I would just quote 6, 8, but um, I think the... the Verses before that are important. It says this, with what shall I, uh, I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with a calves of a year old? In other words, shall I come to God with worship? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil, a.k.a. your tithe? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? In other words, sacrifice. Listen to the answer that God gives through Micah. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let me put it this way. People are not changed by how you worship or how much you give or how much your sacrifice is. They are changed by how great your love is. Now, some of us are already starting to push back on that because we see love and we see it as this gushy rom-com that, you know, none of us want to get with. But that's not love. Love is sacrificial. Love cares. Love invests in people. See, all these three things that Micah talks about before to act justly, to, to, to um, love mercy and to walk humbly with God, all these three things, there's nothing wrong with them. Worship is good. It's something that, it's the only thing that we give to God. That's worship. That's the only thing that we can give to God. It's not about us. God is gracious in worship that he, in return, shows, gives us his spirit in that moment. And we have a great connection with him. But worship is not about, God, I'm so great. It's, no, God, you are great. And you are good. And you are merciful. And I love you. There's nothing wrong with worship. There's nothing wrong with tithe. Matter of fact, without it, we don't operate within a church world. The Bible says that it's, it's very clear, and, and this is not a tithe message, but it's very clear that tithe is a godly thing, it is an obedient thing, and it is one of our ways of worship, and when we don't do it, we're actually disconnecting ourselves from the fullness of God. This isn't my words, this is God's words. 
So he's not against tithe, but he's against thinking that that's what gets you into heaven or that was what makes you a good Christian. And, and then the last thing, sacrifice. Matter of fact, the Bible says that your obedience is better than sacrifice. That's what the Bible says. So, so he sees these three great things and he says, but that isn't what the Lord requires. The Lord requires you to do these three things. And the first one is this, you need to act justly. What does that mean? Live out the great commandment and the great commission. Let's not make Christianity hard. I mean, that should get an, like, an amen. Like, we shouldn't make Christianity hard. How many would, okay, let me, let me put it this way. Um, if, you wanted to, if you want me to make it hard, then starting next Sunday, we're going to go old school. All of you have to dress up. Some of you may not mind that. I, I don't even, there's some of you that may not even own a pair of slacks, okay? Let's, so guys are like, what are those things? What are those? Um, <laughs> you know what, I, like, I don't even know if I've worn a pair of slacks since we started the church. Maybe once, maybe. I know I've done it at some weddings, that's, and that may be where I get confused. Maybe Christmas, maybe one of the Christmases. I'd have to go back and look at pictures. Let's, let's make it real hard. Let's go real old school. Hey, when you come to church next week, you better bring a pure uh, ram or sheep or dove, or maybe you're really sinful and you got to bring a bull. And we're going to cut its neck and we're going to pour the blood on the altar and we're going to worship God in, in, in old, like some of you are going, I'm out. You'd now just become a cult. <laughs> and exactly. And y'all just got to wait out there. Actually, no, I'm not even coming next week because then I got to wear bells because I may die. Like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm, I'm out. I'm just not doing it. And it's not even the bells. It's the fact that the bells are on me to make sure that I'm still alive. I'm out. Or we can make Christianity the simplest form of what Jesus was trying to say, which is you got to love God with everything inside of you. The second is make sure that you love people. Let's not miss it. we got to love people like we see ourselves. And I'll say this over and over and over again until I am no longer pastoring because the biggest problem is we love from the depth of what we see ourselves, and when we do not like ourselves, we cannot give the love of God out. So before you can love others the way that God wants you to, you gotta see yourself through God's eyes. You gotta live out the great commandment and you can't stop there. You gotta live out the great commission. Go therefore into all the world and tell people about me, baptizing them in their name and showing them how to be a disciple. Now, some of y'all are going, well, that sounded great. You do that. That's what you're called to do. No, we are called to do that as a church. We are called to, to Camden. Amen? Amen? Okay. The five of us are called to Camden. <laughs> Listen. I'm going to get y'all to call and response, okay? Here's the deal. I'm going to fire it up. We're going to stay here until I get some call and response, darn it. You at home. <laughs> Don't turn me off yet. We're called to Camden. We're called there. Why? Because, because it's easy? Heck no. <laughs> and I can't be more emphatic about that. No. I can't tell you how many times. How's church going? Can I tell you, I hate that question now. Because I feel like I have to give a successful response. How's church going? Oh, man. Filled to the brim every Sunday. People beating the doors down trying to get in. Because I feel like if I don't give that answer, I'm not a good enough pastor. 
Like, I've done something wrong. You, you, can you see how the lies... That, see, some of y'all battle with other uh, addictions and hurts. I'd battle with the calling of God on my life to be the best version of me for this church and for us to run together. And the enemy goes, you suck. I'm telling you. There's no greater joy than to find people. Jesus did it with 12. And then grabbed 120 and changed the world. Well, if he did that, good luck. We're, we're starting off pretty good. Let's change Camden. But we're not going to do it by just having good Sunday services. We're going to do it by serving them with love and, and per- passion and purpose. And we got to act justly, not just when we gather together and have our freedom t-shirts on and go in and proclaim the church and the goodness of the gospel. It's every day we live. It's at your workplace. It's with your friend groups. It's with your families. And it's with your enemies. I know the last one was hard. This is how we interact with people, treat people, see people, love people. Now, let me put it this way so that you understand. This is not about being a doormat. This is about being a doorway. And when you see justice as that, well, pastor, you know, you're saying that I just have to forgive and forget and move on. Yes, I am. You're absolutely correct. Paul or Peter tried to be really religious, right? And said, Jesus, how many times should we forgive people? Like seven times? And then we can move on. And he said, huh, seven times 77. Now, some of y'all are going like, is that really a good number to forgive? Like, God, that's a lot of people just walking all over you. One time, Rodney, you got 144 times to just walk all over me. He's like, dang, I got to start keeping count. <laughs> no. What Jesus was saying is you shouldn't even be counting. Forgive them. But it doesn't mean that you constantly let them in to be a doormat to them. Sometimes you're just a doorway to show them Jesus. Because after maybe the second or third time, they go, well, geez, he hasn't socked me in my face yet. Maybe there's something to him. <laughs> you know? He hasn't called me all these names. And, or, or she hasn't went and gossiped about what, what trouble I'm in. What's different in you? Well, let me tell you. See, I used to think that Christians were like SWAT teams. And man, can I tell you, I'm a, I'm a I love, whoo, hi, kick the door down, tell you about Jesus. Had to stretch a bit for that one. Don't want to pull a uh, Sean. <laughs> I love him. I've, I've had five people tell me about uh, Sean's acrobats last week, so I had to throw that in a message. So, But this is. This is how I thought, that, that Christians, we were SWAT team members, and we just go, and, and, and whether you're ready or not, I'm going to beat the door down and tell you about Jesus. Can I tell you that that's not the goal? Matter of fact, you will never, I won't say never, you will hardly ever reach somebody for the gospel by trying to force them to Jesus. But maybe you forgive them. Maybe you love them when you shouldn't have, because the world says that you shouldn't have. Maybe you care for them and you bandage their wounds and you get some of their hurt on you and you see where they're coming from and you have compassion for them and then you're a doorway that invites them into the goodness of God and they go, oh, true Christianity does exist. The Bible tells us how to treat people we don't get along with that have treated us wrong. What does the Bible say? It says, turn the other cheek. It says to give them your coat. It says to walk the extra mile. It says to bear with one another, to pray for your enemies and to forgive them. These are not my words. These are literally the Bible's words. So don't hate me, hate Jesus. They're not easy, but they're rewarding. You will have peace and freedom. It's hard because it's countercultural. And that's what we're called to be, countercultural. 
If the world says you should hate them, I'm pretty sure Jesus is going to say love them. If, if the world says not to get close to them because they're nerdy, weird, outcast, your popularity is going to go down, nobody's going to like you, they smell stink, whatever the answer is, then you probably need to get close to them. Jesus took outcasts, not outcast the group, although he could. <laughs> That'd be pretty dope to have outcasts do a Christian album. Squirrels playing ping pong, people. He takes the outcast and he gives them a purpose. Some of you are still trying to figure out who outcast is. <laughs> you got to act justly. You got to love mercy. Mercy, we should all love mercy. Mercy is the holding back of what you deserve. How many in this room are a sinner? <laughs> yeah, welcome to the club. Aren't we glad that we're saved by grace? The giving of what we don't deserve and the holding back of what we do. Mercy is literally the holding back of what we deserve. And Jesus went to the cross so that we wouldn't have to do that. There's a, there's a story in Matthew where, where Jesus is, once again, he's the greatest storyteller. He's telling about a king who this dude owed him millions of dollars. And he was like, he's like, oh, king, I can't pay you. I can't pay you, but I promise I'm going to get to it. And the king showed him mercy, and he said, your debt is forgiven. And then he walked outside, and he saw Rodney, and he was like, Rodney, you owe me five bucks. Bro, pay up. He's like, hey, I don't have five dollars. And he said, I'm going to throw you in jail for it. And the king went back to that guy and said, how dare you? You owed me millions and you threw a dude in jail over $5. If I handed you mercy for more, why did you not hand mercy onto him? And that is the story of, of mercy. We're wanting Jesus's forgiveness, but we're not willing to forgive. We want Jesus's salvation, but we're not willing to lead others to it. We want Jesus's grace and freedom from addiction and pain and hurt in our past, but we're not willing to be the caveat in which we release it to others. We've got to love mercy. How much more should we live with the mindset of mercy when we realize all that Jesus did for us on the cross? I want to do all I can to release people from the grips of the devil. Amen? My eternal fight should not be whether I'm successful in the eyes of man. Matter of fact, uh, me and Stephanie were having a conversation with Pastor Michael at his house this last week on Monday. And... Uh, we kind of came to grips that we don't like that word success in church world because we're comparing ourselves to something that it is not our calling. I am not successful based on whether or not I'm doing it like Elevation or Hillsong or any other church. The question is, am I being effective? Am I being fruitful? Is Randy doing the best that he can with the calling that God has put on his life? And it has nothing to do with comparative to whether it's Sean or me or Eric or anybody else. It's, is Randy walking in the lane that God has given him every opportunity that he can? He is going after it. It's not about is Randy doing it comparative to. It's is Randy doing it effective for the calling on his life? And that's extended to each and every one of us. I want to live merciful. Because mercy was given. I want to forgive and show love. I want to be kind because those things are life changing and being eternity, bringing eternity into the lives of those around us. That's the goal. Now, once again, let me give you a little bit of breath. You're not going to do it all the time. If you hear me and your OCD brain goes, I have to be perfect all the time, stop it. 
That's not the goal. Paul says this, I strive for perfection. That means I'm, I'm not waking up and trying to give excuses. Well, God, I tried to, but then they opened their mouth. <laughs> like, I tried to be kind, but then they showed up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's not trying. <laughs> that's avoidance. That's not the answer. It's, God, help me to be, like, part of my prayers every morning is, God, help me be the best version of I can today comparative to who I was in the past. Help me to be 1% better today in your word, in your life, and in your love than I was yesterday. And I know I'm going to make mistakes, and I'm going to make my wife mad, and I'm going to say something to my kids that I probably shouldn't have, and, and I'm going to get irritated, and, and I'm going to think things that I probably shouldn't think at times. But God, I know that your love and forgiveness is there, and help me to be the better version today. I want to live merciful. And the last thing you see is we need to walk humbly with God. So these first two are how we treat people. Act justly, love, mercy. The last one is the connection to God. And this is that round the corner, we're heading home, and we're also going to bring the good news with a little bit of challenge. This is the daily devotion part. This is where rubber meets the road. It's real easy to sit out here and to love Jesus when, when somebody's speaking to you. It's another thing to say, hey, when's the last time you've been in your Bible by yourself? That's a hard question. I don't understand it, Pastor Scott. Well, maybe get a version you are good at reading. There's a plenty of them. Don't listen to the Christians that go, King James only. That sounded so offensive. Sorry. Or don't read the message. That's not even the Bible. Okay, I'm so glad you got your, you know, Christian theology scholar. Side note, the message uh, version of the Bible is actually really great. It was written by a, the, uh, a, a, a great theologian, uh, Eugene Peterson, who probably knew the word better than most people inside and out, and he just wanted to make it relevant to this world. How about the Passion Translation? I love that translation. It only has the New Testament, Proverbs, and Psalms right now, but it is awesome. I preach out of the NIV, the NLT, the ABC. I don't care. If it's God's word, some of you are going, what is he talking about? These are all just different translations. Look them up. You version is my greatest help. I can look up all sorts of different scriptures. I've, I'm running like five different devotions at any given time. There's no excuse for us not to be in God's word, be connected to him and growing in him. This is self-discipline. We hate that word. We do. This is growth spiritually to be close to God and live the life that he has designed for you. What did I say at the beginning of the year? We're going to go deep. I'm going to challenge you to, to get in your word. I'm going to challenge you to, to use your voice and to pray out loud to God. I'm going to challenge you to go places that you have been scared to go spiritually because you're afraid. What if it doesn't work out? What if my prayers don't get answered? Can I give you a little bit of freedom today? It is not you that has the power in your prayer. When I pray, I release it, and then I say, God, it's your will, not mine. Isn't that what Jesus told us? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus begged and pleaded, don't go to the cross. Jesus said, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But your will be done. That's how we should pray. God, I, I, I've got a friend that's, that's dying of cancer. Heal them. But you know what? I know this, that if you don't heal them now, there's an ultimate healing in heaven. So lead them to you, Jesus. Restore this marriage. Restore this relationship. God, free this addicted person. But it's not the power of my words. It's the power of God's will and the power of the faith in the person. 
Your prayers have power, but you are not the giver of the power. That should free you to say, man, I'm going to use my words. Jesus said that anything I ask in his name, I shall have. What does that mean? That I'm going to ask in Jesus' name under the will of his father. So don't just be praying for some F-250 platinum trucks. It's on my wish list that I'll never have. <laughs> I looked up them things yesterday. Hundred and something thousand dollars brand new. Forget that. You know how many vehicles I could buy used? <laughs> could buy you all one. We all getting Honda Civics. Okay? <laughs> we'll just put freedom on it. We'll just be the Honda Civic crew. See, we, we think sometimes I'm going to pray in Jesus' name and I'm going to get it. No, I'm going to pray in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask his will be done and then I'm going to release it to his purpose. So maybe your healing doesn't happen overnight. Maybe it's five years from now. Maybe it's the ultimate healing to be in the arms of Jesus. I know marriages that had to be divorced, gone their own ways to come back and be remarried and find their place in Jesus. So don't tell me that God can't do it. Don't tell me that God is, 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 is forgotten about you. Don't tell me that he's slacking. He, it's just that we need to get in his timing and his will and walk humbly with him. Pride is easy. Humility requires great power. Well, pride is easy. I'm better than, I got this, I know the answers. No, 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 I'm gonna humble myself to God and say, what do you have for me? To walk humbly with God is to tell him he has control of you. That's hard. That's, right? If you don't think it's hard, try to just do it on an earthly level. If you're in a relationship, look at your, your significant other and say, I give you complete control. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, you just lost your dang mind. When we make it, when we make it tangible, you're like, oh, that... That got uncomfortable quick. So it's no joke when I say give God control that we go, oh, I don't know. I, it's, it's me in the plane. That pilot has all the training and all the hours of, I mean, they got to have like stupid hours to fly a plane. And yet I don't feel good in my seat when I hit baby turbulence. Like if that plane moves an inch, I'm like, oh, Jesus, we're going down. You know, I start thinking about how I need to call my kids and say goodbye. And y'all think, y'all, you listen, listen, y'all think I'm playing. You think I'm, my brain runs the most worst things in my head when I get on a plane. I strap in and I'm like, oh, it's a fiery ball. Jesus. I'm thinking, I'm thinking back to like, you know, those, those horror stories where people are leaving voicemails on their thing so that their kids can hear their voice for the rest of their life. Like, y'all, it's sadistically bad when I get on a plane. Why? So some of you are like, dang, pastor, you need freedom. I know. Y'all are my therapy. Y'all are the cheapest version of a therapy I can get, okay? So listen, because I have control issues. Because I want to take the wheel of a car and I just want to drive. And I don't care if it takes me another 16 hours. I know that I will get there the way I want to get there. So is it really all that surprising that when we get to God and he says, I need complete control, we go, you know, I know you're safer, but I'd rather take my way. Walk humbly with him. We got to give him control. That you don't get to say no, you don't get to argue, and you don't get to do it by yourself. Humility gives control to the creator. 
Let me end with Psalms 86.11. This should be our prayer. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. That should be our prayer. God, teach me your ways so that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. Can I tell you, if you do this, you will never have a problem living in his goodness. With every sunrise, God gives us another blank sheet of paper and invites us to fill it up with things that make us come alive. I'll read that again to you. With every sunrise, God gives us another blank sheet of paper and invites us to fill it up with things that make us come alive. Tomorrow, what will your paper say about you? I did these things and then I went to bed. And you have to do those things. But do those things with purpose. Because maybe that person walks into your office and you just say something like, how's your day? And they go, eh. You know, I think a lot of times we just ask that question because we think we're supposed to. What happens if somebody doesn't say, oh, it's great? But they go, eh. You know what they're saying is, I, I can't tell you what I'm going through, but man, I would really hope that you ask. I don't have it in me to share what, 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 what I'm carrying the weight of. But please, for the love of God, somebody throw me a lifeline. And we know this because we've all been there. When you're walking through hell and somebody goes, how's your day? And you battle with that two seconds of saying, do I just answer great so that nobody has to know? Or do I say, you know what? I'm really going through something. And, and fear of being let down, fear of being made fun of. And so we just go, I'm okay. And we're not. And what if we just stopped? And here, here on the receiving end, here's what we're afraid of. So when we go up to somebody and say, hey, how's your day? And they go, eh, oh God, now I gotta ask them. Now I gotta know. What's going on? And that one question could be the release of freedom for somebody's life. They cared. They cared enough to ask me what's going on. They, I may not have the answer. My truck broke down and my dog ran away. Well, I'm sorry. Go listen to some Alan Jackson. I don't know, like, you know, go listen to some old country music. That's what it's filled with. I may not have the answer. It's the flux capacitor. But just the fact that I was willing to get in his life and ask him what's going on could be the freedom to know that he's got somebody running life with him. You want to know the quickest way to fill a church? Show a community you care. Show them God's love. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. That's our goal this year. We're going to go deeper. Don't let it scare you. Next week, we're going to celebrate. I get excited. We're going to celebrate. We're going to have some fun, but we're also going to look at week two of this. And I'm going to preach from a, a scripture that I pr uh, preached the very first Sunday because it is the common core. I know some of y'all hear that word and you run. Um, <laughs> The common core of our church. What is the call of the church? To leave the 99 for the one. What does that mean? What does that look like? And how do we enact it in our lives? God, will you pray with me? 
maybe you're sitting here and you're going, man, that all sounds great, but I've walked away from God or I don't have a, a real relationship with God. And, and today I want to, I want to just confess to say, I want to have that. I want to walk with, maybe you walked away from God. Maybe you've never actually professed your faith in God and you're saying, I want what you're talking about. If that's you today and you're just saying, you're sitting here and you're going, I just want to, I want to pray that God would come and enter my life and help me walk humbly, love mercy and act justly. Maybe you've never said it before in your life, Jesus, I want to follow you. Or maybe you've said it before, but you've walked away and today you want to reaffirm that. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Just to say, God, I, I want you in my life. I've tried it on my own. Amen. Amen. God sees those hands. I've tried it on my own. Man, I make a mess of things. And now I just want, I want to give it to you. I want to, I want to do it your way. So I'm giving you control and giving you my life. Would you, would you pray this prayer? You know, we, we, we call it the salvation prayer. Really, it's the follower's prayer just to just pray and there's no power in, in the words there's power in the heart of faith that prays it and so if you raise your hand or maybe you didn't let's reaffirm with them say dear Jesus there's more of you in here it's okay you can use your words dear Jesus thank you for dying on a cross for my sins my hurt my pain and washing it away I choose you because you chose me. Help me to follow you day after day, to love you and to love others. Jesus, I pray for those that raised their hand today and, and, and said, I want to choose to follow you. What the, that is the greatest decision anybody will ever make in their life. I don't care if you walked in with a million dollars and said, take this or salvation, I'll take salvation any day of the week because it is the eternal amazingness to know that we are going to champion and celebrate in heaven one day for all of eternity together. God, I pray that as we walk as a family here, freedom family, that we lift each other up, we encourage, we, we run with each other, we pick each other up when we are down. God, help us to never be the, the, the priest or the temple guard that sees the hurting and walks the other way. God, help us to be the Samaritan that sees each other hurting and we walk with each other in our hurt growing and, and building each other up, loving our community and loving one another. God, help us to mourn with those who mourn and to be joyful with those who are joyful. God, give us opportunity this week to live out our faith, to obey you, to walk humbly with you, to, to show off your mercy and to show off living justly. God, Holy Spirit, enact our brains and our hearts to follow you that we would do our best to strive for perfection but not get overwhelmed when we make mistakes. I pray your peace and your, your love and your, your strength and your boldness over our people today and those that are watching at home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.